Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. editing technology CRISPR-Cas9 is being harnessed to alter DNA, but Locana Bio is using it to create a new class of genetic medicines that can precisely target and modify dysfunctional RNA. The company says its approach will allow it to produce in vivo medicines that combine the specificity of RNA binding proteins with the effect of a one-time gene therapy. We spoke to Jim Burns, CEO of Locana Bio, about its platform technology, the benefits of using CRISPR to target disease-causing RNA, and why this approach could be applied to a broad range of genetic diseases. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for inviting me to join you and talk about Locana Bio. Well, we're we're going to talk about Locana myotonic dystrophy type 1 and the potential to use CRISPR-Cas9 editing to correct dysfunctional RNA with a one-time therapy. Let's start with myotonic dystrophy, though. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is it? Well, myotonic dystrophy is a, a type of muscle dystrophy that results in weakening, progressive weakening, and breakdown of muscle over time. Uh, so a lot of people have probably heard of uh, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, or DMD. That's probably the most common type. But myotonic dystrophy type 1 is an autosomal dominant form of muscle dystrophy and is the most common form of muscle dystrophy that hits adults. And you know, it, it includes muscle loss, weakness, myotonia. And, and what myotonia is, is that muscles will contract and then can't relax. So if you ask somebody with, uh, with myotonic dystrophy type 1 to grab your finger, for example, they can grab your finger, but they just can't let go of it readily. So that's an indication that they have myotonia and perhaps uh, uh, myotonic dystrophy type 1. But it can also affect uh, the heart, uh, heart conduction. Um, patients very often develop cataracts and intellectual instability. So it, it's really a, a, a terrible disease. And typically it manifests when uh, really when patients are approaching their prime, you know, in their 20s and 30s, although it can affect uh, young, younger people depending uh, on the particular extent of the mutation that they have. 
I know many people can go for years without even realizing they have the condition. How difficult is it to diagnose and does this complicate treating it appropriately or conducting something like a clinical trial? Well, that's, I mean, that's a great question. And maybe I could comment on actually what's at the root cause of, of the disease and then get, get to your question, which is it's a mutation in what's called the myotonic dystrophy protein kinase gene. And what happens in this gene is that you get a triplet nucleotides of uh, cytosine, thymine, and guanine that repeat many, 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 many times. And once they get beyond a certain number of repeats, the, then the RNA that develops from the transcribed mutant gene becomes unstable. And instead of CTG repeats for the cytosine, thymine, guanine uh, repeats, you have CUG, of course, because the thymine has been replaced in the RNA with uh, uracil. And this becomes unstable, it's toxic, it sequesters critical RNA binding proteins that are involved in splicing, which have a number of effects. Uh, and um, so this ultimately is what's responsible for the, uh, the disease. And in, in patients that have, let's say, 50 of these repeats, 50 to 100, uh, the disease has one man, uh, might occur um, uh, at one stage, while if you have hundreds or thousands of these repeats, it'll it'll show up much much sooner uh, much sooner, uh, even in uh, with the, with the young children. So uh, what makes it difficult to diagnose is just unless you have the symptoms, you're not going to look for it necessarily. Uh, but you can easily diagnose it. Uh, you know, with with a genetic test on where the cells stand in terms of the number of repeats that they have. Although getting to the point of a doctor ordering a genetic test, I take it becomes a challenge. Yes. And, and part of that challenge, I think, as someone that's worked in rare diseases uh, before, part of that challenge is if you don't have a treatment, then you're much less likely to want to test. But once you have a treatment, a successful treatment, uh, then you're much more likely to uh, test earlier than you otherwise would have. Well, what treatment options exist today, and what's generally the prognosis for someone with a condition? Well, the prognosis isn't good. I mean, they, they continue to decline uh, once they, the symptoms start to manifest. And that speed of decline, of course, again, is, is related to the number of uh, repeats that they might have in, in their DMPK gene. And uh, there, there really isn't uh, a good treatment for, the, for these patients. I mean, they, about 70% of them or so actually die of uh, some sort of cardiac function. And so, you know, those patients can get... Uh, pacemakers, um, you know, they get cataracts. And so you can deal with that with uh, intraocular lenses. But other than those types of uh, treatments for a symptom, uh, there it really isn't anything for these patients. Well, Conabio is pioneering a new class of targeted therapies that specifically corrects dysfunctional RNA. You call this RNA-targeted gene therapy. What is RNA-targeted gene therapy and how does it work? Yeah, what's really interesting about this is that we're combining two things that we know work. 
we know we can target RNA to treat disease. And we know this from the success of uh, RNAi treatments as well as uh, ASO uh, treatments for various diseases. And we know gene therapy can be a successful treatment. Um, and we have uh, many examples of that now. And so what we're doing, uh, what we, we realized, and by we, I'm also including our founder, uh, Gene Yao from University of California, San Diego, uh, realized that we can actually take proteins that bind RNA and use those to target dysfunctional RNA and affect different manipulations of those RNA. And what uh, we're doing initially is actually uh, taking these RNA-binding proteins, putting them with a nuclease that will then uh, cut the RNA, and we can target these, these systems, in this case, to these uh, repeat expansions on the DMPK gene. They target the, that part of the gene only, and then they can cut it. And what's really nice about that and an advantage is it only targets the uh, the mutant allele, and it leaves the wild-type allele alone. What does an RNA-targeted gene therapy consist of, and how is it delivered? Well, the... Uh, it consists of a protein that will naturally uh, bind to RNA. And uh, we use two different flavors or three different flavors of RNA binding proteins. We use either a CRISPR-Cas9 protein that's been mutated and adapted to specifically bind RNA only and not DNA. There are also Cas proteins, CRISPR-Cas proteins, that specifically bind RNA and not DNA. And we also use those. And then we also use a human-derived protein called PUFFs, uh, which are very modular and can be uh, designed to bind uh, a, a given sequence within RNA. So we use these three systems to, uh, and we target them to exactly where we want them to go on, on the RNA. And we can do different things. And the main thing that we do uh, f of course, for repeat expansion diseases is then make sure that they bind where we want them to and then cut. So it's an RNA binding protein. It's a mechanism for guiding it where it needs to go for the RNA and then a nuclease for cutting the RNA. And does that get packaged into some vector? Yes, we're using uh, AAV. So that's where the gene therapy comes in. So gene therapy uh, is a great way to deliver drugs. And uh, what we're doing, instead of delivering uh, a plasmid for making a protein that might be deficient, we're delivering a system that is then binding to the RNA and uh, 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 affecting the RNA the way that we want to. So we use AAV gene therapy for that. There are a number of therapeutic approaches that target RNA, such as antisense oligonucleotides, your RNA-targeted gene therapy, unlike an ASO, which requires repeated dosing, would be a one-and-done therapy. How does an RNA-targeted therapy affect the ongoing change with a single treatment? Yeah, the you know, what's an advantage of the single treatment, of course, is that uh, the patient uh, is one-and-done. 
One of the advantages also of this approach versus uh, ASOs and RNAIs, which frankly, I think has an important role in genetic medicine, but we do not sequester or use any of the cell's machinery that's used for the ASO and the RNAI to be operational. Uh, So we think that's uh, an important advantage. The other important advantage that we have is, or feature, I'd like to say, of our approach is that we only target the mutant allele. We do not target the wild type or intact allele. And of course, this is very important, especially for autosomal dominant um, diseases such as myotonic dystrophy. In September, a study in Nature Biomedical Engineering reported on a preclinical study of the company's experimental therapy in mice as a potential treatment for DM1. What did it show? Well, that was a really interesting study because it was the first time in in animals that uh, we've been able to show that these systems can actually do what they've been designed to do. And this uh, uh, followed a paper that was published in 2017, in which in in vitro systems, cell-based systems, we showed that the uh, these uh, CRISPR-based systems could target these repeat expansions in um, in genes and actually destroy them. And this work was first pioneered by uh, Professor Jin Yao at UCSD. And this first work was what ultimately was the basis for the founding of Lucana Bio. So what this Nature Biomedical Engineering paper uh, showed was that you could take these systems and put them in a disease model in mice of these repeat expansions that cause DMD and do several things. Number one is, first of all, these could express for months, which is really extremely important that you can put these systems in, they go to the muscle, again, and they go to the muscle because of the AV that we use, which is AV9. They get into the cell. They target these toxic CUG repeats of the message RNA. They destroy them. We also showed that we could uh, reestablish normal splicing patterns of the proteins that are sequestered by these toxic foci of these uh, repeat uh, uh, CUGs. And we could reverse uh, myotonia, which is ultimately what... uh, Um, is caused by those splicing factors uh, not being operational. And what's exciting about this is this is exactly the types of things that you would look at in a clinical trial as well. You are still preclinical with this. Is anything known about the relative safety and long-term durability of this approach? Well, in the animal studies that we've done to date, uh, the ones that I'm just mentioning that were in nature biomedical engineering, uh, we actually had a very nice safety profile. We had um, uh, no uh, off-target effects that that we could see, and we looked very hard. And uh, because we don't have, uh, we don't affect the DNA, we found that uh, we had no um, uh, off-target effects on the DNA. And uh, we had we looked for you know, inflammation in the muscle where this is targeted to go to, and uh, the response there was very nice. So you know, so far what we're seeing is that this approach is very well tolerated, and I think in part one of the reasons for that is that because our approach is targeting what is actually toxic, which is the message RNA that I mentioned before, we can use less material. 
So the amount that we're using is a, you know, a good order of magnitude less than what you would use in a typical uh, gene therapy. As you mentioned earlier, myotonic dystrophy is a repeat expansion disorder. Uh, notice some of the other targets in your pipeline are also repeat expansion disorders. Is there something that makes them particularly good targets for this kind of an approach? Well, I think the fact that we have these large expansions of these trinucleotides in either DMD or in some of these other repeat expansion diseases like Huntington's disease and uh, what's called SCA1, as well as uh, there's a, a C9 ORF72 ALS, form of ALS, uh, they, it actually presents a motif that is, uh, I don't want to say easy, but more readily targetable with, a, uh, with an approach that we're taking. And so it just makes it, uh, I would say, uh, more practical that this would be the first approach that you would go after to show proof of concept. But we're not just start stopping there. We have other um, ways of manipulating RNA that we're looking at that would go beyond repeat expansion disease. How broadly applicable do you think this approach might be to treating other genetic diseases? Well, there, you know, another area that we're really excited about is to use these systems to affect splicing modification. And this is particularly interesting for, uh, for exon skipping in a number of diseases, both in retinal diseases as well as in neuromuscular. So we're looking at applications uh, in, in those, those fields as well. As you build your pipeline, how are you prioritizing the indications you'll pursue? Well, there's a couple of ways that we look at that. And I think it's important at this stage for a company like us to be able to get into the clinic for diseases that are devastating, they have no treatment, and show as quickly as we can proof of principle that we can affect the biology that our systems are targeting and that they're safe. And so the, uh, the, the CNS diseases, for example, that we're looking at fit that bill. And we know that there have been many clinical trials done for these diseases that we're looking at where we, we have a pretty good idea how we would track whether or not these, these products are safe, as well as uh, uh, doing the things that we want on the biological side. And the same for DMD. We know how we would uh, measure that. Um, and then, you know, we look for whether or not, you know, it's, there's, there's a reasonable way of conducting the clinical trials. And... Um, the, whether or not they, all that matches up with the scientific reality of what we're trying to do. So we put all those things together, and that allows us to uh, prioritize what, what we're going to go after initially. And then as we get data that says that we have a way forward with these initial indications, it allows us to expand and go into uh, other areas as well. At the end of last year, you completed a $100 million Series B venture round. How far will that take you? You know, with what we had at the end of uh, uh, 2020 and then plus the uh, additional $100 million from the Series B, that brings us uh, easily to the end of 2023 and perhaps a little bit beyond. And uh, that's a great runway for us and uh, allows us to build out the company that the way that we, we wanted to, uh, which now includes, you know, building out uh, development to get ready for our next step, which would be to move into uh, IND enabling studies and beyond. Jim Burns, CEO of Locana Bio. Jim, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. It was a pleasure.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.